Amen. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Lexus, two great thoughts. Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. I uh, wish I could tell you that if you'd be faithful to Christ, you wouldn't have any valleys and you wouldn't have any heartaches or difficulties, but that would be a lie. And all those people on television and stuff who tell people that, they're just lying to people. Uh, what promise you do have is that no matter what valley you're in, Christ will be with you. And He is in control. I'm glad for that. Appreciate Joe uh, speaking last Sunday night. It was planned all along for him to speak. It was not the plan that uh, I would be sick. Uh, but I did get to watch the service live stream and experience uh, that. And so made me uh, think and appreciate all those who make that possible for those who can't be here. Uh, tonight is our 35th subject of the 53 that I have planned for a Sunday night series on Bible doctrine. Uh, some of these subjects uh, do take more than one week to cover. Uh, I'm in no hurry to get done. Uh, I do want to give anyone who wants it uh, more than a basic understanding of, of Bible doctrines. I, I want you to have an opportunity, and I know many of you are interested in that. Biblical ignorance has never helped any individual. It's certainly helped uh, never helped any culture either. Uh, my goal all along through this is for you to be people who understand why. Why we believe what we believe. Remember, Christian growth begins by learning what? What does the Bible teach? What does it teach to be key doctrines? And Christian growth continues uh, when we go through this process of learning why sincere Christian people believe what they believe and do what they do. Uh, three Sunday nights ago, when I last taught in this series, we talked about the history of Baptist. It wasn't really a Bible doctrine so much as the pop product of Bible doctrine and the fulfillment of a promise of Christ. Uh, church history is a big subject, uh, one about which we have many books, books in our bookstore, and uh, that night I made my notes available, and the church uh, gave a copy of The Trail of Blood by J.M. Carroll to anybody who wanted one. I, I want you to be knowledgeable people. I want you to understand that there have always been churches not affiliated with the hierarchical organization in, in Rome. Uh, you notice I didn't call them a church. I said the hierarchical political organization in Rome. Roman Catholic people, by and large, are good and sincere people who just believe what they've been taught or more accurately not taught. Uh, and that organization has for many centuries been a political organization. And there have always been churches not affiliated with them. Groups like the Donatists and the Novatians and the Policians and the Albigenses and the Waldenses and the Lollards and people like that over the centuries who basically to one degree or another believed like we believe here tonight in contrast with Roman Catholicism. And I don't know what you think, uh, even though I know many of you didn't care a lick for what we talked about. Uh, for those of you who care, I, I don't know what you think, but it encourages me to know that there have always been true churches. It encourages me. Uh, tonight, I want to begin talking about our spiritual adversary, uh, the devil, Satan, Beelzebub, Lucifer, your personal enemy, the enemy of your family and your marriage, 
Uh, we'll likely spend, Lord willing, three weeks in this subject because we will always get more victories over an enemy we understand. Over the course of these messages, Lord willing, I want to cover who Satan is, what kind of methods he uses, and how we can defeat him as Christian people with Christ, the Creator, living in our heart. You see, when any soldier knows who his enemy is and knows what his enemy is trying to do, that soldier can defeat that enemy if they've been given the means to do so, and we have been given the means to defeat this enemy. A knowledgeable and well-equipped soldier is going to be an effective soldier. I get it. Very few churches nowadays sing onward Christian soldier, even though churches of all stripes sang that song for decades. But the New Testament likens believers to soldiers and the Christian life to a battle. And we're not in a game. We are in a high-stakes spiritual battle. For our children, our grandchildren, our own homes, as well as the world in which we leave to the next generation. And I want to be an effective soldier. Now, anyone who believes the scriptures and the words of the Lord Jesus understands that there is a real devil. And though he loves for people to deny his existence, the reality of his existence is stamped in devil indelibly in the pages of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And Christians who pay no attention to Satan would be like Jews living in the land of Israel paying no attention to terrorism. See, the threat from Satan to you and I spiritually is just as real as the threat of terrorists are in the land of Israel tonight as we meet. His existence, though, is not simply the testimony of the Bible, uh, all of us have personally seen and experienced his influence. There's not a person here who hasn't looked out at something going on in the world and thought to yourself, that was evil. That, that was beyond man's fallen nature for someone to do something like that. We have all experienced his influence in our own life at times. There's not a person here who hasn't come to themselves and thought to themselves, wow, you know, I was being deceived and I was on a very destructive path. Thank God I saw where I was going. There's not a person here who hasn't experienced his influence on those we love. We've all watched as loved ones inexplicably made irrational and indulgent decisions that destroyed both themselves and their family. And so we know he's real. He's real because of the Bible. He's real because of what we've seen and experienced ourselves. There are two great forces at work in our world. Anybody who looks at what goes on in our world and blames God for everything doesn't understand that there's more than God at work in our world. There's a real force for evil at work in our world as well. Here's the thing though. We believe in an infinitely holy creator making everything. A creator who is good, loving, gracious, just, and merciful. Which brings up a good question. How could a wicked being such as Satan, that evil force in our world, how could he come to be? How do we account for his existence? It's a good question. 
you're able to stand tonight, if you would stand, please, in honor of the Word of God. The title of my thought is Satan, the Great Adversary of God. The Great Adversary of God. Ezekiel chapter 28, in verse 11. Moreover, the Word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created." Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Thank you. Might be seated. For those of you who are familiar with the Scripture, this is a classic biblical text on the origin of Satan. And in this text, we do get a glimpse of how he came to be. This prophecy begins in verse 12. It says, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now, at the time of Ezekiel writing this, the city of Tyre, T-Y-R-E, was a powerful Phoenician city in the Mediterranean Sea. It was well known for its wealth, its idolatry, its wickedness, and, it is, and its power on the sea. Now, it's pretty obvious as we read this lamentation, and we'll go over it a little more detail in a moment, that this description goes beyond the human king of Tyrus to the real spiritual power ruling Tyre, the devil himself. Now, it's obvious because of the description. It's obvious because back in verse 2, he says, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus. And so there was a prophecy that had to do with the human leader of the city of Tyre, and then a prophecy that we just read that had to do with the king of Tyre, who is Satan himself. 2 Corinthians 4.4 describes Satan as the God, small g, of this world. Whether you like it or not, or whether I like it or not, the values and influences of places like Los Angeles, New York City, Paris, San Francisco, New Orleans, Las Vegas, Brussels, and Washington, D.C., the real power behind the values of those places that characterize the world when we think of the world, the real spiritual power behind that is Satan. And so it should be no surprise to us to find him behind the values and wealth of Tyre, the powerful city in Ezekiel's day. And as we went over this description, we'll go over it in a little more detail now, this description goes way beyond any mere mortal or human king of Tyre. And we learn some things about Satan in this description. Notice in the beginning, he was very wise and very beautiful. The beginning of verse 12, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sun full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And though we have no direct reference to what Satan looks like today, I do not personally believe him to be ugly. In fact, if he is ugly today, it is only because his twisted and warped rebellion against his creator has warped and twisted the beauty that God originally made him with. 
He began full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. By the way, physical beauty is something that Satan still twists and uses today. There is no human being who is the match for his wisdom nor his ability to twist the truth or manipulate situations. I'm always amazed that Christian people feel like they have enough discernment and that they have enough strength and power and wisdom in themselves to read all this stuff by secular, ungodly people and feel like they're smart enough and wise enough to sort through it all to always recognize Satan. Can I just say you've already taken the first step toward your destruction. When you think you're wise enough to recognize everything he subtly puts into your mind or my mind, listening to secular sources, we've already started to fall. You say, Brother Wally, don't you listen to anything secular? Yes, I do. But I don't listen to that much of it because I don't trust myself. I recognize and I understand that my wisdom and my intellect are no match for the subtlety of our spiritual adversary. Notice that he also, he was in the Garden of Eden and originally had a garment constructed of gold and precious stones. Verse 13, thou hast been in Eden, the Garden of God. This is obviously beyond the human king of Tyre. It says, every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. Now, Most of us are familiar with the story in the Garden of Eden, how that Satan possessed a serpent, and that he used that serpent then to deceive Eve into violating the one command that God had given to Adam and Eve, and plunged, or the first step of plunging, Adam actually finished it, took the first step of plunging mankind into sin. But not only does he have this special garment, he also has a special knack with music. Did you notice that at the end of verse 13? He said, The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee the day thou wast created. A tabret is a tambourine, a percussion instrument. Pipes were woodwind instruments. And he is a master at using music to deceive people. He was originally designed to use music for the glory of God in heaven. And when he fell, he carried with him all this ability from God to use music to influence people. Even a casual, honest observer is forced to admit that music makes people feel, think, do, and say things they otherwise would never do. I I think people in this room you would be shocked at the things you sing because you don't think about the lyrics. You're just feeling the music. And you're drawn into things you never would ever otherwise be drawn into. He's a master at that. And as that verse 13 closed out, we learned that he's a created being and not the creator. He says, in the day that thou wast created at the end of Verse 13, you see, because he was created by God, he is not greater than God. In fact, we learn in Colossians, it says of Jesus Christ that all things were created by him and for him. Everything 
was made by God, and Satan is a creature, not the creator. Notice we next learn that he is of the angelic order we call cherubim. In verse 14, it says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. A cherub is a shortened version of the word cherubim. Uh, there is more than one kind of an angel. And in a few weeks, Lord willing, when we spend a night on what are angels and what is their purpose, uh, we'll talk more about the cherubim uh, when we do that. But notice he started out good. And by the way, that's no surprise because his creator was good. Look at verse 15. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. You see, everything God created was good because God is good. Everything God does is good because God is good. And we are told that his initial iniquity was pride. Pride in his beauty that corrupted his wisdom. Look at verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I'll cast thee to the ground. I'll lay thee before kings and that they may behold thee. What happened to Satan? He fell by pride. Now keep your hand there. We're given a detailed description of his fall in Isaiah 14. If you'd turn there and keep your hand in Ezekiel. You say, Brother Wally, every time I come, all you do is preach and teach the Bible. Yep. Yep. I believe that the strength of God's people is understanding the Scriptures. When those ladies sang tonight, I recognize the voice of God when He speaks. Listen, you got a whole book. And one of the reasons that people don't recognize when God is speaking, they don't know the book, and so they have no idea whether the voice they're listening to is the pizza or their imagination or some evil influence or just their flesh speaking because they don't know what God has already said. God has already told us a lot about what happened to this being named Lucifer. Isaiah 14, verse 11. It says, how art thou fallen, I'm sorry, uh, Isaiah 14, uh, verse 11. It says, thy pomp is brought down to the grave. The noise of thy veals, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. You see, just like in Ezekiel, this particular word was spoken to the king of Babylon. Look at verse 4 of chapter 14. Thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, and he goes into this message, and just like in Ezekiel, when he spoke about the king of Tyre, the ancient city of Babylon, a wicked city, an idolatrous city, a city that was filled with wealth and all kinds 
of evil of every sort. The real power behind ancient Babylon was not any king of Babylon. It was not Nebuchadnezzar or Nabonidus or Belshazzar or any of those human kings. The real power behind that was Satan himself. And here, we are given more information about where he came from. Notice he is linked again with music. In verse 11, thy pomp is brought down to the grave and the noise of thy viols or vials. Uh, a viol is a stringed instrument. And by the way, his stringed instrument produced noise rather than music, rather than melody. Uh, let me just add, I am always amazed at Christian people who are otherwise sensible who feed their heart and mind so many things through the vehicle of music that you would never listen to or say were it not they come to you through music. You see, Isaiah 14 is actually the only place where Satan's name prior to his fall is revealed, and it is not surprising that that name... The one time it appears in the Bible is missing from modern versions of the Bible. In verse 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? If you have an NIV or an ESV or an NASV, it says either star of the morning or day star or morning star instead of Lucifer. Listen, even Satanists call themselves Luciferians. And here in Isaiah is a famous section, uh, the five I wills of Lucifer. And each of these is a reflection. Remember, his root sin was pride. It started in his heart to, about his own beauty, the lofty position with which God had placed him, and the wisdom that God had given him. And because he wasn't happy being the anointed cherub that covereth, he wasn't happy being one of the three most powerful beings that Jesus created in creation. It wasn't enough for him. He said these five I wills that reflect the pride in his heart. In verse 13, he says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. In fact, if you're a student of the Bible, you're familiar with the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 when he had his five eyes. Do you remember his prayer? God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all I possess. All his focus on himself, just like Lucifer. Uh, though Lucifer aspired to be like the Most High, God promised the flames of hell for him. In verse 15, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. You see, like mankind, Lucifer was created with a free will. Lucifer could have either chosen to yield to and follow his Creator, or he could say, no, you know what? 
I'm not happy with the way my Creator made me. I'm not interested in my Creator's plan for my life. I will do what I want to do. And that's exactly what he did. And he fell from his lofty position. Satan is not in hell today. In fact, today he is going to and fro throughout the whole earth, doing as much damage to that which is good and those who are good as God allows him to do. And we'll talk about that more in a few weeks. But as I said a moment ago, God has his own answer to Lucifer's five I wills. Go back to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. You see, God has his own five I wills when it comes to Lucifer. Let's begin in verse 15. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Notice God here says, By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. and Thou hast sinned. Therefore, here's God's five I wills. I will cast thee out as profane out of the mountain of God. Here's the second one. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty and has corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will, here's the third one, cast thee to the ground. Here's the fourth one. I will lay thee uh, before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, and it shall devour thee and Here's number five, I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror and never shalt thou be any more. You see, though Satan is our enemy as a child of God, he is more of an enemy of God than he is our enemy. We often overestimate ourselves when we think He's so interested in us, when in reality His interest in us is just because He hates His Creator, He hates our Savior, and He loves to hurt things that our Savior loves. He hates God. And so as we begin to think about our adversary, uh, the adversary of God and the archenemy of all that God values, we know a few things. We know first that Satan is a created being who fell because of pride in his wisdom and beauty and position. It wasn't enough for him to be what his creator intended and gifted him to me, though he was greatly gifted and in an incredibly high position. The second thing we know is that Satan is a spirit. He's an angelic creature who has special gifts with music and beauty and wealth. Because he is a spirit, if you take notes, write down John 13, verses 25 to 27, because in those, he enters Judas Iscariot. And when Satan enters Judas Iscariot, Jesus commands Satan and Judas, and he said, that which thou doest, do quickly. And as a spirit created by Jehovah God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He obeys Jesus. We also know number three, Satan was and is a free creature just like us. He could have chosen to believe and obey Jehovah, but he didn't. At one point, he could have accepted the way God made him and the position in which God placed him, but he instead used his freedom to rebel. 
to blatantly, willfully, and pridefully do what he wanted to do instead of what God commanded him to do. And at this point, there is no possible redemption available to him. His future is sealed. Which gets us to the fourth thing we know. Satan's future has nothing good in it. His ultimate end is hell. And anyone who is deceived by him is going nowhere good where he's going. Now the Bible doesn't just prophesy about Lucifer's end in the Old Testament. It clearly speaks about the fulfillment of that in the New Testament as well. Please go back in your Bible to Revelation chapter 20 because his end is very clearly given to us. Revelation chapter 20. Notice at the end of the seven-year tribulation, Satan is going to be bound with a supernatural chain during the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Revelation 20, verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. That's what happens to him at the end of the tribulation. Go up to verse 7, and let's see what happens at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. It says, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up in the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Notice present tense. That means they've been in there a thousand years at that point. Beast and the false prophet are, and he shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. His future is written. No questions? That's going to happen. You see, we also know to resist him, we must allow ourselves to find joy and satisfaction in the gifts and the place our Creator has designed for us. You see, Satan is wise, but he's not wiser than God. He's powerful, but he's not more powerful than Christ. He is prominent and influential today, but the day of his destruction is sure and certain. You see, our hope against this powerful spiritual adversary is to stay close to Jesus Christ. To draw nigh to God, because God said, if we draw nigh to Him, that He would draw nigh to us. The name of Jesus is a strong tower, and the righteous runneth into it, and they are safe. May God help us to guard our hearts. Because if Lucifer could sink into pride because of his giftedness in the very presence of God, you and I better be careful or pride will creep into your heart or mind, and it'll destroy us too. We must guard our heart if we're going to walk humbly. 
See, now we have a good idea where Satan came from. We now have a good idea where he ultimately is going to end up. But what is his mission? What is his objective today? What's he trying to do? What kind of tactics does he use to pursue uh, his purposes? By the way, when we study the Bible, uh, one of the things you'll realize early on is that God uses a lot of names to describe himself. He uses a lot of names to describe the Lord Jesus Christ because like a diamond that has so many multiplied beautiful facets, uh, the character of our Creator and the character of our Savior cannot be described with just one facet of that beautiful gem. And so we learn a lot about our Creator and we learn a lot about our Savior by the names by which He is described. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's the prophet prophesied by Moses in Deuteronomy 18. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the lamb of God. He's a great shepherd of the sheep. He is the king of kings. We learn a lot about the person and character and work of Jesus Christ because of the names by which He is called. He is the friend who sticketh closer than a brother. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the altogether lovely one. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's the Savior. He's our Master. He's our Advocate. He's our Propitiation. He's our Mediator. He's our Redeemer. And I could go on and on and on with the different names by which Jesus Christ is referred, each of which describe a facet of who He is. And so it is, no dis- it is no surprise that Satan also, nowhere near with as many names as the Lord Jesus Christ, he is described by a lot of different names and terms as well. Each one of these help us know a little bit about who he is and what he does. And I only want to cover one of them tonight. And you'll find that first one in 1 Peter chapter 5, if you would turn there, please. 1 Peter chapter 5. Names and analogies used to describe Satan. Notice he is likened to a lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. By the way, if this verse is not highlighted, underlined, in some way noted in your Bible, this is a key New Testament statement. And you should make note of this. In verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 5, be sober, be vigilant. Uh, by the way, be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He is likened to a lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Please hear me when I say you don't have to go looking for him. He's looking for you. I get it. If you're dumb enough to you know play with a Ouija board and tarot cards and uh, you know, all those Dungeons and Dragons characters and all those kinds of things and walk in His turf. You're going to play with your astrological sign and, and all that stuff. Oh, okay, go ahead and play in His backyard. 
But you do not have to play in his backyard to have him interested in you. He is walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's not looking to play. He's looking to devour you. Which means you and I need to be on guard. We need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. You and I need to have our eyes open instead of just playing with life and playing casually as if we're not really in a spiritual battle, as if there's no one out to destroy our marriage, as if there's no one out to destroy our children, as if there's no one out to destroy the Lord's church here. We're not supposed to be playing. We're supposed to be sober and vigilant. On guard. Eyes open. And our children are grown now, but as a parent... There were seasons when I really felt like Satan was actively trying to devour one of my children. Actively. And if you're a parent and your children are anything over just a few years old, understand you will go through those times. So, Brother Wally, what'd you do? Prayed. <laughs> Tried to behave myself wisely. There have been times as a husband and seasons when I felt Satan was actively trying to destroy my wife. Actively trying to destroy our marriage. Actively. Say, Brother Waller, what'd you do? Pray. You get a hold of God. Behave yourself wisely. As a pastor, there are seasons when I felt like he was actively trying to devour someone here. You may not ever realize this, but there have been times when I felt like Bible Baptist Church was hanging by a thread. I look out and I see people here and I think of people uh, who have been here over the years and people who are here now. And there are times when I really believe in my spirit that Satan is actively trying to destroy someone. And sometimes they just, they, as if there's no spiritual battle going on, they just kind of just willy-nilly go through their life as if nothing's going on. they got all these good intentions. It's like the bird walking into the snare. So Brother Waller, what do you do? Pray. Try to behave myself wisely. Listen, as a Christian, there have been times in my life I believe he was actively trying to devour me. Sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally, sometimes spiritually. So, what'd you do? You pray. I think of that lady with the issue of blood who crawled through the crowd and grasped hold of the hem of Jesus' garment. And I think about myself like that. I think about Jacob coming back to his homeland and wrestling with the angel. And it says that Jacob grabbed hold of his leg and says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And I always in my mind have this picture of a little child. Have you ever had some three, four-year-old kid sitting on your shoe holding on like that? And, and, and you walk with them like that, you know what I'm talking about? And I always think of myself just like that. Just get a hold of my Savior and hold on. 
Do, do you realize you and I and ourselves cannot defeat a devouring lion? Our enemy is great, but the captain of our salvation is infinitely greater. Our only hope is to flee to the Creator from the creature. Our only hope to draw nigh to God because the devil isn't afraid of us, but he is afraid of our Savior. Our only hope is to call upon the Savior, not the Jesus who is the brother of Lucifer, as Mormons say, but the Jesus who is the Creator of Lucifer, the Jesus for whom all things were created by Him and for Him. Get a hold of Him. If you're here as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, as a grandparent, as somebody who takes the work of God seriously, if you don't ever look around and see the lying trying to devour at certain seasons people who are dear to you, and that that is your opportunity to say, God, I can't fix this. You just get a hold. You hold on. Because Christ, Jesus Christ, is the name above all names. Not Lucifer. Many years ago, I was talking to a young man, and I was talking to him about becoming faithful to the Lord. And here's what he said to me. It was along these lines. He said, I've tried two different times in my life to be faithful to Christ, and he said, both times something bad happened. And he said, I'm not going to try again. And I said, you realize what you're telling me is that you're more afraid of what Satan might do than Jesus. Listen, our adversary never gets to any one of us but what it flows through the loving hands of our God. Fear thou not. God says, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Yea, I will uphold thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Hey, listen. We are in a spiritual battle for the things that matter most to all of us. And I'm going to encourage you tonight, don't be more afraid of the devil than you are of Jesus. Respect him. But hold on to Christ. If you quietly stand.